break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 13th of October, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show and plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about more shady dealings from Wall Street. Surprise, surprise. The de facto death penalty in prisons in New York State. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about the fight for freedom in Swaziland, which is continuing apace. Well, those were the sounds of a protest held just a few days ago in Swaziland by protesters demanding jobs and free education for all as part of mass protests that have been sweeping the nation since the summer. Since May, over 100 people have been killed by regime forces and hundreds of others seriously injured as the absolute monarchy of King Maswati III has attempted to hold back the momentum of the movement. Students in particular have been at the forefront of the struggle over the past month. On Monday, students from 50 primary and high schools across the country took to the street and their protests were met with bullets. One student was shot in the leg and 10 were arrested. The students were demanding the immediate release of political prisoners, democracy, better learning conditions, as well as free education, among other demands. The military and the police have been deployed all across the country yesterday and today in an attempt to quell the students' protests, which seems to have failed, as videos emerged this morning, of students continuing to oppose the regime on the streets. In at least one city today, Manzini, the strikes of transport workers that are taking place have shut the city down as those workers joined protest and also were raising their demands for better working conditions. College students have also been protesting, raising similar overall demands as the rest of the struggle, as well as noting the particular injustices related to fees imposed on students for housing that they were never able to use due to schools being closed for COVID-19. The movement, which has sprung up around the moniker of Democracy Now!, is the greatest challenge to the absolute monarchy since it was formed 50-some-odd years ago. The king is a neo-colonial puppet of major corporate interests from the United States, Taiwan, and a few other places. He controls almost the entire economy himself and appropriates most of the wealth. Taiwan actually is a major player in the Swaziland economy. They use the neo-colonial American free trade law, AGOA, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, to set up sweatshops that masquerade as African businesses and are able to export goods to the U.S. tariff-free. They've also provided millions of dollars, Taiwan that is, to prop up Maswati this year after he was rumored to have briefly fled the country as mass protest trash businesses owned by him and his cronies. 70% of the population lives in poverty, healthcare is massively underfunded, and education is extremely expensive. And despite these obvious deprivations, the king is well known for his ostentatious displays of wealth from his private jets and fleet of Rolls Royces 
Swaziland, believe it or not, is actually officially ranked as the most unequal country on earth. The struggle for democracy to overthrow the absolute monarchy has really become deeply intertwined with also addressing these socioeconomic concerns and the deep poverty of the country, which are obviously interrelated to the lack of democracy in the country. The situation is very fluid, but it seems to be growing out of the control of security forces who have not been able to quell the protest after months. And really, when you look at it, the photos and videos emerging from Swaziland are reminiscent of the township struggles of 1980 South Africa, where the masses clearly show that they were ungovernable by the apartheid forces. So we'll have to let events unfold here, but it certainly seems possible that the days of the last absolute monarch on the continent of Africa are numbered. <laughs> Well, New York State has not had the death penalty since 1972. Between 1608 and 1972, 1,130 people were executed in New York. In the past decade alone, since 2011, 1,278 people died in the custody of the New York State Department of Corrections. In other words, more people have died in prison in New York in 10 years than were executed by the state over 364 years. These numbers come from a new report by Columbia University, which also details that, quote, since 1976, when the state began compiling data on deaths in custody, 7,504 people died while in the custody of the New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision. This is seven times the number of deaths of those who were executed by the state. Again, 7,500 roughly since 1976, about 1,100 over 364 years. Wild comparison. One of the facts most highlighted by the report is that in the past decade, these deaths have been overwhelmingly older people serving long sentences due to mass incarceration policies. In other words, that the state is really operating something of a de facto death penalty policy. 56% of the deaths in the past decade were people 55 and over. A 404% increase in deaths in that age range since the 1980s. In fact, 40% of all over 55 deaths in New York prisons occurred in the past decade. So there's a clear through line here with the increase in very harsh prison sentences since the 1980s. Further reflecting this fact, about one in three people who died in New York prisons over the last decade have served 15 years or more in prison. And people who have already served 15 years in custody account for nine times more of the total deaths behind bars today than they did in the 1980s. The research also notes that, quote, from 1976 to 2020, black people have comprised anywhere between 37 percent and 58 percent of all deaths behind bars. And they further note that, quote, in 2018, black people accounted for 45 percent of all deaths in DOCCS custody, despite only making up 14 percent of all deaths of New York State residents that year. Just a sobering reality as it regards mass incarceration, the rush to imprison millions behind bars for as long as possible means that you don't really have to be sentenced to death to be given a death sentence. Well, it's no surprise or secret that Wall Street is engaged in all sorts of risky behavior that is either borderline legal or outright illegal. But it isn't just something to shrug off as just the way things are, because so much of Wall Street is really centered on massive banking behemoths that have been deemed too big to fail, meaning that these super risky bets leave you and I on the hook because when they go bad, it will be the money of normal people, quote unquote, taxpayer dollars that will be used to bail them out. Now, one of these shady practices that we've discussed a few times here in the punch out consists of various attempted in runs around rules designed to prevent too much risky trading of a certain type. And this was seen most notably when the hedge fund Archegos blew up last year. 
The Federal Reserve has something called Regulation T. For our purposes here, more or less, what Regulation T means is that a quote-unquote broker-dealer, that's the entity that handles trades for a given person or company, can only loan their clients a certain amount of money to buy stocks. And that amount cannot exceed 50% of the purchase price of the stock. Now, why do they have this rule? Well, the biggest broker-dealers are also huge mega-banks with a ton of cash. So they may look at a hedge fund that they are dealing with and say, hmm, well, they're doing pretty well. Let me lend them some money to buy some stocks because they're getting big returns, and we're all going to make a lot more money. And this, by the way, was a major factor in the 1929 stock market crash. That's actually why Regulation T was developed, not because it's like a theoretical problem, but this actually happened, and it's actually brought down the economy. But Archegos was doing a bit of an in-run around Regulation T by hiding their assets on the balance sheet of their banks. So it looked like the bank owned the stocks. That way, the bank could lend them unlimited amounts of money while making it look like they were not, in fact, lending them any money at all, that they were the owners of these stocks and the hedge fund was operating on their behalf. Now, this, of course, blew up in their faces when Archegos's terrible bets went belly up. But as you can see, it obviously makes sense from the point of view of the banks to be able to operate this way because they can sort of outsource very risky trades and get around the laws that are supposed to prevent them. Now, all that being said, the Archegos collapse revealed that the practice itself appears to be very widespread. The indication of that is that many large hedge funds are not filing complete 13F forms. Those are basically asset declaration forms to the SEC on their activities. Wall Street on Parade, which has been looking at these issues closely, notes that, quote, we found that billionaire Michael Bloomberg's Willett Advisors family office hedge fund hasn't filed a 13F since 2014. And that filing showed only $273,000 in assets. According to Capro Asia, Willett Advisors is the seventh largest family office in the world with $25 billion in assets. According to Capro Asia's list of the top 10 family offices, billionaire Jeff Bezos's Expeditions family office has $107 billion in assets. But the SEC has no 13F filing at all for the entity in its public records. Another example is billionaire Bill Gates' family office, Cascade Investments, LLC. According to Capro Asia, it ranks number three among the world's largest family offices with $51 billion in assets. Cascade Investments hasn't filed a 13F form with the SEC since September 30th of 2008, which coincidentally is the same quarter that Wall Street blew itself up, taking the stock market along with it, end quote. Now, what seems more likely to you, that this is just random or that it's becoming fairly widespread for banks to hide assets of family offices and other hedge funds in order to facilitate the funding of riskier bets for higher profits and tax dodges? Now, all that being said, There's even more of this because the recent controversy over insider trading among Federal Reserve Board governors revealed that high net worth individuals are also in a big way in this game. The Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren, who's under a cloud here over whether or not he was abusing his market knowledge to trade, disclosed in his financial forms that his wife had received a, quote, secured loan for investment from Citigroup. As Wall Street on parade further noted, quote, We located a 2021 Citibank document that offers further details on these margin loans. That's what this process is called when you loan someone money to buy stocks. The paper indicates that qualified city private bank clients may be able to borrow at competitive rates against a range of financial assets, including stocks, bonds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a similar rule to Regulation T called Regulation U that governs the same issues and has the same threshold for banks proper. So not broker dealers, but just banks themselves. They're really the same thing. So it shows you how all of this is a little bit of a sham. But nevertheless, 
Regulation U does require some reporting. And the reporting shows that banks are lending out quite a bit of money to high net worth individuals to buy stocks. For instance, among the huge banks on Wall Street, Bank of America is actually doing this the most, $17.96 billion so far this year. J.P. Morgan Chase, $12.8 billion. State Street Bank and Trust, third, $9.73 billion. And Bank of New York Mellon at $8.6 billion. Now, of course, I can't say that they are lending them more than the law would allow, over 50% of the purchase price of these stocks. But what we do know is that federally insured banks are lending out huge sums of money to people to make risky, dangerous bets on Wall Street. And we know that many of these same institutions are doing the same thing with hedge funds and at least potentially illegally hiding a lot of the details. So while we can't say that there's a smoking gun yet, It seems highly likely that the entirety of the financial sector and hyper-wealthy individuals are embroiled in a massive web of shadowy deals designed to avoid just the type of legal scrutiny on the activity that they are engaged in. And we know that when it all goes bad, we're going to be on the hook for it, not the huge banks or the high net worth individuals. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.